0: So for a while we've been um, talking uh, with you about the need for uh, another deacon and for an assistant treasurer. Um, and I'm always glad when we have these opportunities to serve within the church because uh, we're, we're called to be part of the church. Um, and, you know, a church is kind of a, like a, a do-it-yourself organization. We don't hire people to do all of the functions of the church we have volunteers who step forward and do these things and in a lot of ways we work out our christian life and service within the life of the church and so i'm always happy when there are opportunities available for people to serve and so i want to say that both of those positions we have now have people who've stepped forward uh, and offered themselves for those positions which is fortunate because i got another job for you (laughs) <laughs> Pastor Bruno has been hounding me He's the handsome man down here Pastor Bruno uh, Pastor Bruno uh, has been hounding me Because we have been talking for a while About getting uh, English language uh, instruction uh, For our members We have you know, about uh, 60 members uh, For whom English is not their first language Um, and we can support them as they are becoming better in English by offering regular language instruction. And so we're looking at October as a start date uh, for some kind of classes where uh, people who don't speak English as their first language will come. Uh, We will train you how to do this. It's apparently not rocket science, but there is an art to it. Uh, We will train you and equip you. The meetings will happen here uh, at the church. We have a pent-up demand. we got at least how many people? At least 40 people ready to, like, start right now. And, and this is serving our church, but also serving the community, which is what we want to be doing. So if you can see yourself in the role of facilitating uh, an English conversation class in an evening, uh, we'll we, uh, talk to me. Uh, we're going to begin to pull this together, uh, and it's something that'll happen like a couple of nights uh, a week, and we'll, we'll get a group of people together who are willing to be the team supporting this. It'll be a wonderful opportunity to get to know some people who are part of our church and maybe you don't know really very well yet. Uh, it's also a wonderful outreach opportunity. Uh, the church is supposed to be serving the community. Um, and we are a nation of immigrants, and there are people who are always coming here. And it's really hard to do a good job of being in this country if you don't know English. And so this is a way that we can help uh, other people. So talk to me about it. I don't need just one person. I need several people okay, who would be in- interested in participating in an English as a Second Language uh, program that we're going to conduct here. I'm looking for an October start date. The other thing which I need to say, and I don't normally mention birthdays because everybody has a birthday. But this is Corona Karina. It's ninth birthday, and I have to. I have to tell you, Karna, I am so happy that you were born, and I'm so happy that you are part of this congregation. And may the Lord bless you and keep you in all the days ahead. You are truly a treasure. All right. And all of you aren't going to get that each time it's your birthday, okay? So don't... We'll never get any preaching done otherwise. All right. Um, Our second reading this morning uh, is from Numbers chapter 29. Again, it's selections. um, In both 28 and 29, I've kind of streamlined the reading uh, because they're very long. Otherwise, you can go home and read, read the rest of it if you want to. But I wanted you to get a sense of the flow of these two chapters, which actually are... One unit. So hear the word of God. There will be a special meeting on the first day of the seventh month. You will not do any work on that day. That is the day for blowing the trumpets. You will offer burnt offerings, their smell will please the Lord. These offerings are in addition to the new moon sacrifice and its grain offerings. They are in addition to the daily sacrifice and the grain offerings and the drink offerings. These must be done according to the rules. They will be sweet smelling gifts to the Lord. There will be a special meeting on the 10th day of the seventh month. During that day, you must not eat any food and you must not do any work. You will offer burnt offerings. Their smell will please the Lord. You must offer one bull, one ram, seven lambs that are one year old. There must be nothing wrong with them. You will also offer one male goat as a sin offering. This will be in addition to the sin offering for the Day of Atonement. This will also be in addition to the daily sacrifice and its grain offerings and drink offerings. There will be a special meeting on the 15th day of the seventh month. You must not do any work on that day. You must celebrate a special festival for the Lord for seven days. At the special festivals, you must bring your burnt offerings, grain offerings, drink offerings, and fellowship offerings. You must give these offerings to the Lord. They are in addition to any special gift that you might want to give him and any offerings that are part of a special promise you make. Moses told the Israelites everything the Lord had commanded him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, I ask for your help this morning uh, as we... um, turn to read these scriptures and to understand them. I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here with us. Uh, I pray that you would open our ears uh, and prepare our hearts uh, to receive your word. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 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 So Numbers uh, chapter 28 and 29 present a comprehensive calendar of the religious year for the chosen people. Next week, Valley Christian School will open its doors for its 49th year. It's unbelievable, isn't it? 49 years. And before each school year begins, Dr. Foster publishes a calendar for the whole year. There are certain things that happen every school day, like lunch. Some events happen once a week or twice a week, like chapel or staff devotions. Some things happen only once a quarter, like grades. Other things come just once a year, like the Christmas musical and the eighth grade graduation. And all of these things have to be organized into one master calendar so that everything gets done and so that the whole academic year provides a kind of balanced educational experience. Probably all of us would benefit from a calendar that covers an entire year because when you have a year-long calendar, you think about the various components of your life work of course but also vacation study should have some study going on all of the time you got to put your family in there exercise some of us need more exercise on the calendar worship of course rather than just racing from day to day or from weekend to weekend we can do all of the things that really ought to get done i know an annual calendar would help me Balance the various components of my life, I tend to get focused on whatever is immediately in front of me, and I lose sight of the larger picture. Our reading this morning from Numbers 28 and 29, which I have a bridge to keep things moving along, lays out the religious year for the children of Israel. And while I don't want to get into all of the details and the dates of the calendar, the overall picture tells us a lot about how God wants us to organize and structure our relationship with Him. These two chapters really are about our fellowship with God, about God's framework for our fellowship with Him. Now, read one way, these two chapters in the book of Numbers, particularly if we read every verse, these two chapters might seem incredibly boring. Religion... At its worst, just a bunch of sacrifices and regulations all very specifically laid out. Two bulls, one ram, seven lambs, and they all have to be one year old. Plus 24 cups of flour for each bull and 16 cups for each ram. Mix the oil with the flour and don't forget your drink offering. On and on the regulations go for every day and every week. And then the monthly meetings and then the high holy holidays. Here's how these sacrifices and offerings are structure first there are the daily offerings two spotless lambs plus eight cups of flour and a quart of olive oil and they're all burnt and the smell of it rises up before god and it pleases him second there are the sabbath offerings another two perfect lambs plus 16 cups of flour and the olive oil and the drink offering and that's in addition to the Daily offering. So you got the daily offering that's happening every day, and then once a week you add to that the Sabbath offering, and then once a month there's another offering two bulls, one ram, seven lambs, all of them perfect, plus a boatload of flour and olive oil and quarts and quarts of wine to grow to go with the bull and the rams and lambs. And of course, that's also on top of the daily. So you got the daily, 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 daily Sabbath, got a double offering then, and then once a month you got All the dailies, plus the Sabbath, plus the monthly, and then there are the holidays. Passover, harvest, trumpets, atonement, shelters. These are the special convocations, the big meetings, and there are lots and lots of animals, and there's lots and lots of flour, and lots and lots of oil, and lots and lots of wine. And this is in addition to the daily, weekly, and monthly sacrifices. It can seem a little bit crazy. I mean, we don't really need all these kinds of things to know God, do we? Doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible that God doesn't really want our sacrifices? I think we have to be very careful to not be dismissive of this part of God's Word. Because these rules that God laid down in the book of Numbers were not a mistake. They were... An intentional part of his providential plan. And these rules that are laid down in the book of Numbers foreshadow a larger reality that then becomes revealed in Christ. All of the sacrifices in Numbers 28 and 29 were communal meals, they were shared with God. The sacrifices celebrated the fellowship between God and his people. In many ways, these sacrifices are like the Lord's Supper, which we will do today. In the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we enjoy fellowship with God and we enjoy fellowship with all the other Christians in the world. Jesus himself is the host at the meal and he promises to be present in the meal. Now, in this church, we share the Lord's Supper once a month, plus on Monday, Thursday and Christmas Eve, so 14 times a year. Presbyterian law says that we have to do it at least four times a year. The Bible actually doesn't have any rules about how often the Lord's Supper should be taken, but we are told that whenever we do this, we do this in remembrance of the Lord. Now, the way that we take the Lord's Supper is laid out for us in Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I read it before uh, each service of communion that we do. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he writes to them because he needs to correct them. They've been doing something that they call the Lord's Supper, but apparently it's all messed up, and so Paul explains how it's supposed to be done, and speaking with The authority of an apostle, Paul then passes on to them the instruction that he had received from Jesus, from the resurrected Jesus. So in fact, it is Jesus himself who establishes our standards for how we conduct the Lord's Supper. Now what's my point? My point is, is that we, the worshipers, do not get to dictate the terms of worship. Let me say that again. We, the worshipers, do not get to dictate the terms of worship. Worship is our approach to God, but it is God who tells us, who instructs us how we are supposed to approach Him. We don't get to make that up. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We also see it in Numbers uh, chapter 28 and 29. Now, let me give you an example of the other way you could do this. Let me give you an example of what happens when people try to dictate the terms of worship rather than letting God call the shots. In 1993, the Reimagining Conference, which was sponsored by our former denomination, gathered 2,000 church leaders and they celebrated what they called a milk and honey communion. So rather than the bread and the wine they replaced it with milk and honey because you see the bro- broken bread and the poured out wine are signs of an atoning sacrifice of the cross and the feminists who organized this conference not only rejected Jesus' teaching about the Lord's Supper but they also rejected the entire doctrine of atonement on which the church had been built. Professor Dolores Williams from the Union Seminary in New York City was one of the presenters at the conference, and after her lecture someone in the audience asked quote What is our theory of atonement to be for? What did Jesus come? Why did he come and? Professor Williams answered. I don't think we need a theory of atonement at all I think Jesus came for life and to show us how to live together and what life was all about I don't think we need folks hanging on crosses and blood dripping and weird stuff. Now that's classic liberal theology. Jesus as the moral example. Jesus as the greatest of all people. But not Jesus as a sacrificial lamb of God. The reimagining conference was an audacious exercise in creating God or goddesses in our own image and creating worship in our own image. And while the instinct to do that is there in all of us, we're not permitted to do that at least if we're going to be Christians, at least if we're going to be biblical people. We do not get to create worship in our own images, in our own image. We are not permitted to have a milk and honey communion or a milk and cookies communion either. And the reason why is we didn't create communion. It isn't our communion. It belongs to God. God creates communion and he does it the way he chooses. God reaches out to his people and he establishes a relationship with his people and he gives them the form of worship. This is what is known in reformed circles as the regulative principle of worship. Worship is not a human invention that can be improved upon. Worship is a formal structure given by God as the framework of our relationship with Him. And He is the one who establishes that relationship. Numbers chapter 28 and 29 lays down the rules for the daily, weekly, monthly, and holiday sacrifices. God makes those rules, and if those rules seem a little weird, well, God's thoughts are different than our thoughts. If we have an encounter with a being who thinks exactly like us, if we enter into a relationship with a being who perfectly mirrors our thoughts and feelings, then we do not have a relationship with God. God is different, and we need to get used to that. And we need to allow God to be God and to not force him to conform to our categories if we only read those parts of the Bible that we already agree with. Or if we read the Bible in a way that it never challenges us or never calls us out, then we're not actually listening to God. We're just stepping into an echo chamber where we get to have our previously held opinions and prejudices confirmed. It's like shopping for our spirituality among the Facebook memes. When we encounter the living God, that encounter will be on God's terms. And the description in the Bible of the direct encounters with God are always a little alarming. Because God is not like us, and his ways are far beyond us. And if we want to have a relationship with God, we have to do it on his terms, not on our terms. God is the one who gets to set the rules for how we are going to have fellowship and communion and a relationship with him. God initiates the relationship. God sets the terms of that relationship. And here in Numbers 28 and 29, we see how he does that for the children of Israel. So let me shift gears for just a moment. We all know that the sacrificial system that's laid out for us in the Torah does not continue into the New Testament times. Jesus is the one and final sacrifice, and so there are no more sacrifices required for the atonement of sins. Christ's death pays the price for all the sins of the entire, church in all times past present and future and there is nothing we can do to the, add to the value of the sacrifice that christ made we always have to be careful to not be tempted by the idea that our good work or our suffering somehow contributes to the completed work of christ his work is done His work is sufficient. His work is infinitely valuable. We do not add to it. The sacrificial system that was set up in the Old Testament with its daily and weekly and monthly and holiday sacrifices points us to Jesus. Dolores Williams and the other heretics in the reimagining conference fail to understand Christ because they do not understand the Torah. They have disconnected the Sermon on the Mount From the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. So no wonder they don't need a doctrine of atonement. No wonder they are content with a Jesus who is merely a mortal, a benign guru who wanders around telling lovely stories and healing the sick. It's a bloodless Jesus. It's also a toothless Jesus. So let's talk about what it is that we as New Testament people do learn from this Old Testament passage. First, we see that in our relationship with God, there is a cost to be paid, a cost of communion with God, a cost of fellowship with the Creator. A whole lot of animals are brought to the temple every year. A whole lot of flour and oil and wine are offered to God. And all of it has to be perfect. Every animal has to be spotless. If God didn't specify that we were to bring him the first and the best, you can be sure that we would be paying God the way we pay the tax man with whatever is left over or worn out or worthless. But what God wants in his relationship with us what God expects in his relationship with us is our first and our best. Now, the cost of communion is not only in the animals in the sacrifices. The cost of communion is also in the time put in. Daily sacrifices, weekly sacrifices, monthly sacrifices, and then the big holidays on top of all of that. It's a lot of time. Well, you know how it is with any relationship. To have a relationship requires time. You can have a good relationship if you're with your spouse only if you're willing to carve out time for your spouse. You can't give your spouse your leftovers and expect that things are going to keep humming along at home. And so God structures worship in a way that keeps the people coming back to him again and again and again, setting the rhythms of their lives. I think about my own relationship with God. It has its ups and downs. Not that God changes, but I change. I change in the amount of time that I set aside for God. And it it does seem that the busyness of life and the busyness of a pastor's life can push God aside, which sounds strange, but it's true. And so for me to stay connected to God, I have to be intentional. I have to calendar these things. The relationship doesn't happen automatically. It does happen, however, predictably. If I give time to God regular time, first thing in the morning time, for example, then the relationship swells and it grows and it deepens and it becomes richer and more satisfying. There should be no surprise in that. But when I'm rushed and when I'm busy, then my relationship with God begins to suffer malnutrition. Now, it's good that you are here this morning, this Sabbath morning, But it is also important that each one of us also set aside time each day to be with god most of us find this easiest to do in the morning and the more time that you set aside the bigger the payoff will be there's no question about that here in numbers 28 and 29 god structures the life of the israelites in a way that they have lots of time Assigned to the job of being with God. Now you and I are no longer under those obligations, those regulations, but you can see the benefit. And we might want to think about setting up our own intentional schedule because for some of us, without a schedule, things just don't happen. Now as we close, and as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, I want to bring this even closer to the New Testament. Paul writes, don't let anyone make rules for you about eating and drinking or about Jewish customs, festivals, new moon celebrations, and Sabbath days. In the past, these things were like a shadow that showed what was coming, but the new things that were coming are found in Christ. Paul writes that in colossians 2 16 through 18 jesus of course said that he did not come to abolish the old testament law but to fulfill that law so we can ask ourselves in what way does god i mean does jesus fulfill this annual calendar of sacrifices that's laid out for us in numbers 28 and 29 pastor ian Duguid suggests three ways. Christ is our rest, Christ is our lawgiver and law keeper, and Christ is our passover. So I want to talk about those and then we'll turn to communion. First, Christ is our rest. Jesus said, "Come to me all of you who are weary and heavily laden and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light." Now When Jesus talks about his yoke, he's talking about uh, the the set of rules that you had to follow if you were going to follow Jesus, his, his, his discipline, his discipleship. Jesus says that his way of living is easier than the wearying life of trying to keep the law. Because if we are trying to keep the law, if we are trying to satisfy God apart from Jesus... We're doomed to failure. Satisfying God, keeping God happy with what we're doing, apart from Jesus, is this like endless treadmill, this striving for perfection. And in Jesus, we receive the perfection of Christ, which allows us to rest. I'm a sinner, but I'm a sinner who has been redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm a re- A redeemed sinner who is now, appears before Almighty God as perfected, and so my life is not an endless struggle to prove myself to God. Yes, Jesus wants me to live a certain way, but that way isn't a matter of making myself good enough to earn God's favor. By trusting in Christ, I receive God's favor and I can rest. Christ is our rest. Secondly, and let me say something here, because this is a a misunderstanding of the the communion. There are, you know, honestly, I don't know how this appears uh, in the culture, but there are some people who think that they can't come to the communion table if they've got sin in their life. All right? All of you have sin in your life. Okay? All of you... There's stuff going on in your life right now that shouldn't be going on. Okay? You don't get permission to come to the table because you are in some kind of purified state. You get permission to come to the table because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. All right? And I would say this. If you have some sin struggle going on in your life now, you need to run to the table. This is not a time to be avoiding communion with Christ. This is precisely when you need to be drawing closer to Christ. Now, we're warned uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, to not take the communion without recognizing the body of Christ present. All right? That's a different matter. But all of us are welcome to this table, whatever, whatever state that we are in. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ for your salvation, if you've been baptized, you're welcome to this table uh, today. Second, uh, Christ is both the lawgiver and the law keeper. All right? VBS uh, this year, they were talking about Christophanes, right, in, in VBS. This was like very high theology for a VBS. Christophanes is this idea of Christ appearing in the Old Testament, right? So we have to make this, be careful that we don't think, we don't restrict Christ to just the New Testament. Christ is eternal, Christ is the lawgiver, Christ is the second person of the divinity. Christ is the one who spoke the word there at Mount Sinai, okay? So Christ is the giver of the law. It's not that Jesus is somehow opposed to the law. He's actually the one that gave the law. The law of God given at Mount Sinai is the utterance of the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. The law of Moses is the law of Jesus, which is why we honor it and we receive it. It's not alien to us. It belongs to us. Even as Christians, Jesus is the lawgiver. But here's the good news. He's also the law keeper. Right. One of the reasons that Jesus was able to atone for our sins is that he lived a perfectly sinless life. So he lived a life where he kept the Old Testament law. He kept it fully in his humanness. He kept it. Because he wasn't blighted by original sin, and he lived a sinless life. Now, Adam, you know, if he wanted to, he could have lived a sinless life. He chose not to, but Jesus kept the law, which is why his atoning death is able to pay for our sin. If Jesus had sinned and then died on a cross, he would have just been paying for his own sins. But Jesus did not sin. He was the lawgiver and the lawkeeper, and so his death is able to pay for for our sins, so Jesus is our rest. Jesus is the lawgiver and the lawkeeper. And third, Jesus is the Passover Lamb. Now we don't offer sacrifices anymore to appease God, uh, and the reason that we don't do that is because God offered His own Son at Calvary, and that was the final sacrifice. Okay, there's there's no more blood required uh, to cover our sins we are told however to remember that sacrifice that jesus offered on the cross and that's what we do and here in this church we do it 14 times a year we do it during the lord's supper and we remember what it is that jesus did for us him shedding his blood for us And we remember this because Jesus was the Lamb of God, is the Lamb of God, who takes away our sins. He takes away our sins when we place our faith and our trust in Him. Okay, Let me just give you the Gospel very, very quickly. The Bible teaches that God has made us all, and that God gave a law that we are supposed to abide by. The Bible also teaches that every one of us has failed to live up to the law that God established and the Bible teaches that anybody who fails to live up to that law is under a death sentence, okay? The wages of sin is death. Now this is a problem and the only solution to the problem is is that Christ offers himself as an atonement for our sins. Christ died so that by faith in Christ my sins could be forgiven. My sins get offloaded onto the cross, they get nailed to the cross, uh, and the price for them is paid, not by me, but by Christ. And I receive that payment in faith. So I have two choices. Everybody in this room is a sinner, and everybody in this room has two choices. You can pay for your own sins. That's an option. All right? All right. You can, you can die in eternal death for your own sins. Or you can have faith in Christ and allow his death to pay for your sins. That's the one that I'm choosing. Right? Anybody who has chosen to allow the death of Christ to cover their sins, welcome at this table today. This is where we remember and celebrate what Jesus did so long ago so that we could have communion and fellowship with Almighty God. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we adore you. We thank you for this system of sacrifices that you set up uh, for the children of Israel. We thank you how it was a a shadow of the things that was to come in Christ. Uh, Lord, this day as we come to the communion table, we pray that we might uh, understand the gravity of our sin and understand the bigness of the gift that's been offered to us in Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would receive that gift with gratitude and with uh, great alacrity. And Lord, we pray that as we share this sacrament this morning, uh, that you would strengthen us uh, and build us up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.